Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which Chess Life editor John Hartman goes more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Welcome to the June edition of One Move at a Time. Our guest today is Alan Losoff, a retired vice president at Bank of America, who is best known these days as the impresario of the National Open. He is president of Nevada Chess, but he has also served as president of the Minnesota and Illinois affiliates and vice president of the Wisconsin one. He carries the national tournament director, FIDE arbiter, and international organizer titles. He is the current acting chair of the U.S. Chess Rules Committee and is a past chair of the Bylaws Committee. In addition to the National Open, he has organized such events as the Las Vegas Chess Festival, the Senior and the K-12 Grade Championships. He has been an IT consultant and occasional part-time employee for both U.S. Chess and the Internet Chess Club. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. So I always like to get started right at the beginning, and let's talk about how you got started in chess. Well, I actually got started twice. I think when I was seven or eight years old, um, my aunt taught me the game. And uh, then uh, when I got to be in my early teens, uh, my best friend's father was a very good chess player, uh, and he got us both interested. And I picked it up then and carried on through college. And I like to say I minored in chess. Hmm. Where, Where was college? I went to Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. Okay. And what, I mean, was there a lot of chess activity on campus? I assume you didn't have a chess team, but maybe a chess club? Um, we had a chess club, and I think we actually did have a chess team. I, I don't think I was a member. Uh, this is more than 50 years ago, so forgive me if I don't remember details. Hmm. Um, I was, uh, we had a team, uh, and uh, I know that the, uh, Intercollegiates were in uh, Evanston one year while I was uh, there, but I didn't get to play in that. Now, the there's a lot of things here about your chess history that I want to talk about. But as we uh, as this airs uh, on January eighth, it's going to is the date that this will drop. We are just January uh, June eighth, uh, and we are just one week away from the National Open. Uh, which you have an extensive history of. And this year, of course, it's very different than past national opens. So let, let's talk about it. And But why don't we start with the event's history and your personal history um, as organizer? Okay, well, the event was actually started in 1965 by Ed Edmondson, who was then the executive director of U.S. Chess. 
Um, he ran it at the Stardust Hotel in Las Vegas for a couple of years. It moved around to Reno, uh, eventually moved to various places in the country. Um, and after a while, it just sort of faded out. Um, at that point, uh, in 1963, uh, I'm sorry, 1983, uh, Fred Grunberg from Chicago uh, started it up again in Las Vegas uh, in partnership with U.S. Chess. Um, and he was involved with it. And I got involved a few years later in 1991 uh, when it moved to Chicago. During that period after Fred started, it was in Chicago for two years. And it's been in Las Vegas every other year since then. So I've been working. I started working with Fred in 91. Uh, actually, in 91, I organized it in Chicago. And then afterwards, uh, Fred and I worked as a partners uh, for good number of years until Freddie retired uh, in uh, uh, 2010 or 12. I don't remember the exact year. Uh, but he comes and plays every so often, so he's still involved. Um, what is it that makes the National Open unique? I, I would like to think it's our attention to details and attention to making it a fun tournament for all the players. Uh, we have a larger staff per player than most tournaments. We have uh, a number of side events now, and we uh, uh, really try to emphasize the customer service and uh, ma- making it a good experience. So we use the phrase that, that Freddie started, to put the fun back in chess, and that's our main goal. And to that end, uh, you know, we are coming out of the COVID pandemic. Um, uh, I imagine this has caused some real organizational headaches for you. To, tell us what what's in place for for COVID, even as the U.S. is you know, opening for business again. Well, it's it's an interesting. Of course, when we had to start pub- publicizing this back in February. Um, there was a great deal of uncertainty. Um, we were sure at that time that we could hold the event, uh, but it might, uh, under those re- under the restrictions in place at the time, we would have had to limit to 250 players. Um, and back in February, we weren't sure that we would even get 250 players. Uh, as it turns out, with the restrictions, people being vaccinated, uh, restrictions being lifted, uh, we're right now well in excess of 800 advanced entries uh, just for the national open and probably on track for uh quite a few more so uh we're fortunate that the restrictions are open we don't have a capacity limit uh even if they were the ballrooms we're in we're only using about 30 percent of the capacity of the theoretical capacity i should say so we feel pretty comfortable about the safety in that sense. We're going to continue following the safety, most of the safety uh, guidelines that we published. Uh, people expected this when they signed up. They've been uh, uh, made their decision to come and they agreed to them. Uh, so we are still requiring masks in all of our playing centers. We're going to be observing social distancing. Um, we're going to be uh, have a sanitation regimen for the sets and boards. Unlike many tournaments, the National Open provides chess sets and boards, um, and we'll be sanitizing them. We will have uh, uh, a number of other procedures which are on our website. And uh, of course, since we have a youth event going with this, 
we have to follow for that event. We follow the rules that are in place for K-12 schools, which are even more strict. Now, when you say you'll be sanitizing the, the boards and sets, is that before every round? Um, at this point, we're thinking we're going to do it every night. Originally, we were planning um, every round, um, but the uh, hotel, because of the restrictions being relaxed, has uh, uh, retired some of the sanitation equipment they were going to loan us. So uh, they did say they sanitize everything overnight. Uh, we'll have plenty of hand sanitizer and wipes available for players who want to uh, wipe down their own sets uh, before use. Uh, but we're not going to uh, uh, spray them between rounds as we originally intended. Yeah, that's, that seems like that would be a huge time sink. I mean, how many people, if you had had to do that, how many people would have been involved in, in that exercise? Um, well, uh, to, to be honest, I don't know exactly because, as I said, originally the hotel was going to provide uh, that service. Um, and they have these big Ghostbuster-type sprayers. So I don't think it takes very many. But <laughs> okay. uh, as I said, and we will have, we will have some uh, uh, sanitizing uh, uh, supplies available on request. Now, I'm on your website, uh, the event website, VegasChessFestival.com, and I see that there's 888 players currently uh, in, in the advanced entry uh, for the National Open specifically. Um, how does that compare to um, National Opens in, in the past? Because I'm, I'm wondering if there's kind of a pent-up demand for this over-the-board play again, and if you're seeing higher numbers. Clearly there is, and yes, um, uh, th this is close to a record for this century. Um, our all-time record attendance was 1,100 in 1998 when uh, uh, Anatoly Karpov, who was still then FIDE world champion, uh, came and, ga and gave a lecture and assignment. Um, uh, last year we had, or I should say two years ago, we had uh, somewhere in the 750 range, so we're ahead of that. And I would attribute that both to the pent-up demand and the Netflix movie, Queen's Gambit. So I wonder about with Queen's Gambit, if you're seeing a lot of new players, uh, have, have you checked that at all? Well, uh, let's see. I see yes. under the beginner section, there's 161. How does that compare to pasts? Um, well, I think the previous record in the beginner section was 40. Uh, yep. That's suggestive of a trend. <laughs> yes, we, we have... Uh, uh, and in fact, when we, when we started the beginner section, uh, we were having, uh, and we do this because we feel that it's not fair to other players to let unrated beginners play in the, in the under sections, uh, even with prize restrictions, because, um, you know, the, 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 the average rating of a, of a bunch of unrated players is, is probably 14 or 1500. And the, the uh, peak rating, the strongest player, is probably well over sixteen hundred. So uh, we don't. Feel, so that's why we created the unrated section, and we found that uh, uh, we we had to allow some provisionally rated players in in order to get enough players to make the section big enough. Uh, that hasn't been a problem this year. Now, as suggested by the website I gave before, VegasChessFestival.com. The National Open is part of this umbrella event of the Vegas Chess Festival. Uh, explain a little bit about what that all means. Well, back in the 90s when we were running uh, the National Open, um, 
at, at first it was just the National Open and perhaps a simul or a blitz tournament the day before. Um, as people were asking for more side events, we started adding side events. Um, and at some point uh, in the early 2000s, we renamed it to be the National Open Chess Festival. And after we started some adding some more events that were not, um, uh, I, I guess I should back up and point out that the National Open is a partnership between our organization and the, and the U.S. Chess Federation. When we started adding a number of events that were not uh, uh, U.S. Chess Federation sponsored, uh, although they are all rated, we decided to rename this to be the Las Vegas Chess Festival featuring the National Open. And we now have probably 15 or 20 separate events, including a youth tournament, a, uh, uh, several youth tournaments, uh, simultaneous exhibitions, a chess camp, uh, quads, blitz tournaments. We have, instead of one blitz tournament, we have three, uh, and lectures, uh, game analysis by, uh, this year it's going to be game analysis by international master Elliot Winslow. Uh, people can just come and bring in their games and Elliot will go over them with you uh, in front of an audience so you can everyone can learn from each other's mistakes. So it's become a true festival. Um, and I think it's one of the few events in the country, um, possibly even in the world, that is that is truly a festival and not just a single chess tournament. And two of the events that are, uh, I think will be especially interesting to our listeners, uh, the U.S. Women's Open is relatively new to your festival, I believe, and it, there have been a lot of efforts to grow this, and also the Walter Brown Blitz. So please talk more about both of those events. Okay, well, the, the U.S. Women's Open, um, we, we started uh, running it, I believe, in 2015. I may have been... 2014. It had been uh, another one of those tournaments that had had trouble getting sponsorship, and uh, the U.S. Chess Federation tried running it in parallel with the U.S. Open, and they found that that didn't work. And they asked us if we would like to work to run it. Uh, so we do, we took it on, and uh, the first year we had a fairly low attendance, but we outdid, uh, but better attendance than they'd had. Uh, trying to run it alongside the U.S. Open, and uh, it's grown. And this year, uh, this year we're we're going to break a re our our record. Uh, we already have in the low 40s. We expect we might have 50 or 60 women and girls playing in this tournament, uh, which is I think a wonderful thing. Uh, my wife Janelle is the organizer of this event. Um, although we both organized the whole festival. She focuses on this event more than I do, and uh, it's been very popular, and, and uh, uh, we run it the two days before the National Open, uh, or I should say before most people start the National Open, and that makes it uh, uh, good for players who want to play in both events. Uh, or also, there's, there's a number of young girls who play in the Women's Open and then play in the youth events. And what about the Walter Brown Blitz? Well, that's a, uh, a bittersweet story. Uh, Walter was a supporter of the National Open since before I started. He, he used to play almost every year uh, in the uh, late 80s and the 90s. Um, he's won the tournament or tied for first 11 times, um, and which is even more often than he's won the U.S. championship. 
He's, he was uh, uh, at one time ran his own Blitz Association, and he would run uh, or arrange to run the Blitz tournament as a side event at the National Open. Um, one year, when we did some, had some scheduling conflicts, we couldn't run the Blitz tournament, and Walter uh, convinced us that that was a bad idea. And I promised Walter that as long as I was running this tournament, we would always have a blitz. Unfortunately, Walter passed away um, uh, in, in 2015, I believe. And uh, uh, immediately after the tournament, he was quite a character. Um, he played He played in the tournament. He taught the chess camp. He gave a simul. And I believe he also played in a poker tournament in the World Series of Poker. Um, and uh, a day or two after, he passed away in his sleep, and we decided that we would it would just be appropriate to name the Blitz Tournament uh, after Walter. We have a, 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 a cup that we give out every year, and the first year, Walter's sister came to the tournament and presented the cup. And if, if we've whetted the appetite for anybody who had, had not planned to come to Las Vegas and play and they, and they want to, um, are there any deadlines they need to know about be, to register? Well, the, the, uh, uh, you know, we prefer, you can register online, the price deadline. Um, the next price deadline is just the day before the tournament. We, we charge more for online for on-site entries. Um, and we're really trying to encourage online entries this year uh, because of COVID. We want to avoid uh, contact and paper as much as possible, but we will accommodate uh, people who want to enter on site. Um, the hotel is booked up right now. Uh, in fact, as soon as I'm through with this interview, um, I'm going to try and get them to break free a few extra rooms. Uh, there are still rooms available at the hotel. They may not honor our, our discounted rate um, anymore. Uh, there are other hotels in Vegas, but because of COVID opening up, uh, there's been quite a demand. So uh, anyone who's listening to this uh, one week before the tournament, uh, if you need to get a hotel reservation, you can try uh, your best. And of course, if you contact us on our contact page uh, on our website, we'll do our best to try and help you get a room. Uh, if, if you find you can't do it. And you mentioned that your wife, Janelle, is going to be organizing the, the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, so Janelle's been involved in a lot of the uh, organizing of, of these events that you have as well. And she's also been active in U.S. chess governance. Uh, I'm sure she'll be a future guest on this show, but why don't you tell our listeners uh, about Janelle, how long you've been married, and her chess life? Well, we were married in 1974, so... Uh, I guess if you do the arithmetic, later this year we'll be having our 47th anniversary. Um, we we uh, uh, were married in Minnesota, which is where she's from. Um, and I've been active in chess all through that time. She knew what she was getting into when she married me. And she's been helpful. Um, and it's only in the last, I would say, five or six years that she's uh, developed an interest. Uh, you know, more than just being helpful, she's got her own uh, interests now involved in chess. Uh, she's a disability, um, I don't know if I want to say expert, but she's she's active in the disability 
its community, both uh, uh, in, in local governance and state governance, as well as uh, in the U.S. chess governance. And she helped uh, create the first set of USCF guidelines uh, for, for players with disabilities. And she's still on that committee. And she's, uh, uh, you know, a tournament director, helped organize um, uh, the, the chess festival. She's also the, uh, to some extent, the face of the chess festival. Uh, she, she's the more available to mingle with customers and, and uh, uh, help them out or just make them feel good about what's going on. And, uh, you know, I can't, it's hard, it's hard to talk about her since she's so special mm -hmm. to, to me, but I think she's proven to be special to a lot of people in the chess community. And I'm just incredibly lucky to have her. And other than me personally, the festival is lucky to have her. Okay. So I, I, that was a dangerous question for you. And, uh, I don't think you're going to have to worry about sleeping on the couch tonight. I think you did well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so let, let's move into U.S. chess governance. Um, the fact that you're currently president of the Nevada Association, and you've also been president of Minnesota and Illinois, that, that I suspect is a record. I can't imagine that anybody else has been president of three separate state associations. Well, that might be true. Now, I, I will, to be fair, I was only president of the Minnesota Chess Association for about a month. Um, and then I got a job in Wisconsin. So uh, uh, that that probably is a little bit of an exaggeration there, but I lived in Wisconsin for 12 years and was active with chess there. And then uh, uh, moved back to Illinois. I'm originally from Chicago uh, in 1986 and uh, was president or treasurer of the uh, Illinois Chess Association for a number of years. And uh, uh, when I moved to uh, Nevada, I stayed out of the local politics for as long as I could until I got drafted. Oh, well, talk a bit about your military service then. Uh, no, there's nothing to talk about there. Um, I was... Okay. Uh, of course, I was draft age during the... Uh, 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 during the Vietnam conflict, and um, I was in one of those limbo areas. I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, uh, a poster boy for uh, Joseph Heller's Catch-22. Um, I tried to enlist in the Navy, and they wouldn't take me because of my medical condition, but it took the draft board two years to decide that they didn't want me either. <laughs> um, so um, I was really caught a hard place. I would get a draft notice every couple of months, every month or two. Um, and I would say, well, okay, I don't want to go, you know, I want to join the Navy. And the Navy would say, oh, no, you, you don't meet our qualifications, but the draft board would have been perfectly happy to have me. So, uh, as I said, without going into the technical details, um, it did turn out that I was unable to serve. I did, uh, I do certainly appreciate all those who did serve and and do now, uh, but uh, that, that path was not open to me. Now, going back to U.S. chess governance, you're currently acting chair of the Rules Committee, and boy, this seems like it's been a very active year for your committee with the, um, the new ratings categories. Uh, what has been happening on the, on the Rules Committee? Yeah, well, 
first, I'd like to start with a, a moment to uh, to say something about Ken Blue, um, who was the chair until his unfortunate and untimely passing a few months ago. Uh, Ken was a workhorse. I was his co-chair, and Ken did all the work. And I'll be happy to to, to say that. Um, I had been chair or co-chair before that, but when Ken took over, he did an excellent job, and we're all going to miss him, both for the work he did and just for being a really nice guy. Uh, the Rules Committee this year, um, I would say most of the appeals, if not all, all of the appeals we've had this year, of course, have involved online chess. Um, and this is a new topic, and we're finding our way through. But um, the players are not used to some of the absolute rules that the chess servers have. And the consensus of the rules committee eventually was that if you're playing, even if you're running a tournament on an online server, um, the rules of the online server take precedence in terms of uh, uh, barring players and so forth. Uh, and it's similar to at a hotel. If we're, we're having our hotel at the Westgate, but if you've been barred from coming into the Westgate, you can't play in our tournament, no matter how much we'd like to have you. Uh, the same thing can happen with an online server. Uh, so most of the appeals have been uh, of that nature, uh, where the tournament director either has no control or, or decides to go along with the, the server, with the... Uh, uh, the chess server's rules um, and has to uh, uh, eliminate, you know, remove a player from the tournament. Uh, we don't go, of course, all of our, our appeals are confidential, so I can't go into any specific details. Uh, we've also looked over the new online rules, uh, but there is a separate committee that has done an excellent job of formulating those, um, and our advice on that um, has been fairly, what I would call, minor tweaks. Um, except where the rules overlap. And uh, that's really the most I can say about this year. In past years, uh, we've handled a lot of, a, a lot of times what comes out of a rules appeal is a new rule. Um, I can recall several cases in the past where we've had a player complain about a tournament director applying a rule. We've looked at the complaint. We've said, gee, you have a point, but the tournament director followed the rule exactly. And the following year at the delegates meeting, the rules committee would submit uh, an amendment to the rule to make it a little bit more fair. Um, that's happened a number of times. Uh, we also, of course, review any advanced delegates motions that are submitted uh, to uh, change the rules. Uh, but as of this year, so far, the only ones we have apply to online rules. And we're deferring to the... Uh, online chess committee on most of those. So this past year, uh, the, the committee on internet chess, uh, gave us, uh, a new chapter 10 for the rule book. Uh, I understand there's going to be something similar for correspondence chess. Is, is that correct? Um, yes, uh, we, we have been consulted on that, but, um, as of right now, the makeup of our committee uh, doesn't include anyone who has the expertise in, in correspondence chess. Our committee was chosen, of course, uh, for our expertise in the rules. Uh, most of the members are uh, national tournament directors um, or very experienced senior tournament directors. 
Um, some of us, enough of us have experience with online chess that we're able to intelligently comment on that. Uh, but when it came to the correspondence rules, uh, we essentially told the executive board uh, that we don't have any members who feel they have the expertise for this. And uh, we're hoping that uh, in the next delegates meeting, the, the uh, executive board will appoint a few members who do. Uh, if they want us to review those rules. Now, something that's often confusing to people is why there are different rules for U.S. chess and FIDE events. Uh, can can you shed some light on why there has to be some differences? A, a lot of the differences, and, and we do try to merge the rules when possible, but under under uh, in the last several years, uh, the, the FIDE has taken a more strict approach. They, they used to allow national federation rules uh, to take precedence when you had a conflict. Um, uh, they, they, they still do that in some instances, but very few now. Uh, most of the differences have to do with just the different character of the, of the tournaments we're running. Uh, the large Swiss tournaments, the, the large number of beginners and low-rated tournaments and scholastic tournaments uh, that we run in the U.S. Um, require a different set of rules than the International Federation. For example, uh, the, FIDE, the FIDE rules are by and large made with the assumption that you have one tournament director uh, for a small number of players, maybe one per 20 or one per 40 uh, at the most. Uh, a large U.S. chess event might have one tournament director per 100 players. Um, and uh, even at that, or even if we have more tournament directors, not all of them are on the floor at the same time. So uh, our rules, uh, uh, one, one good example would be uh, the, the rules. Uh, our rules tend to not require tournament director intervention. Okay? A tournament director won't claim a touch-move violation unless the opponent does. In a U.S. chess tournament where the tournament director is not likely to be watching the game, uh, this is fair. Uh, why should I claim it in one case because I just happen to be there and not claim it in another. The, the, uh, the other, uh, uh, but in a FIDE tournament, the tournament director is required to make that claim. Uh, so, so that's one type of difference. Other differences are uh, just are based on how the rules come about. Uh, FIDE has a rules commission, which consists of, 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 uh, 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 rules experts, and they come out with a set of rules every, uh, I, I believe, every other year. Um, U.S. chess rules are set by the delegates. Um, it's more democratic, but it's going to be more uh, 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 opinionated, if you will. Uh, so, for example, um, a lot of U.S. chess players are, are students, and um, a lot of tournament directors have found that the rule against uh, the, the, the rule, the FIDE rule that says castling is a king move, and if you touch the king, you you must castle. Uh, you you must if you touch the rook first, then you must move the rook. You're not castling. U.S. chess rules allow uh, the opposite interpretation that you can touch either piece first. Um, that's essentially majority rules at the delegates meeting. That's the way the delegates uh, have felt it's the best way to have the rule. So uh, I could give more detailed examples, but that's 
of the kind of thing. The other thing that is FIDE rules, I would say, require a bit more strict interpretation. Um, and again, this is a, a feature of, of the, uh, the, the arbiters being available. Uh, so, uh, for example, a lot of the rules were in U.S. chess, if you make a violation, um, and, and I'm talking about an inadvertent violation, not, not someone who's cheating. If you violate one of the rules, uh, U.S. chess usually allows for a warning, where in some cases FIDE allows only for forfeit of game. So, again, this, this is the genesis of the rules. There are some people on the Rules Committee who would like to see us adopt the FIDE rules, but I don't see that happening. And you use your rules expertise as a, as a t- tournament director and organizer. And, you know, the, the back room at a major event is the kind of thing that people tend to only think about when something has gone wrong and they, you know, say, you know, what's going on back there? Otherwise, uh, they don't think about it if everything's running smoothly. And I've read that you're credited with modernizing the procedures in, in the back room to keep things running smoothly. Can What is it that you changed and what were things like before that modernization took place? Well, we, we've been using uh, pairing programs for oh, probably going on 25 years now, although the pairing programs have evolved and gotten better. Um, when, when I first started working in the back room of the, of the uh, uh, National Scholastics, um, we, uh, and by, by the way, I should back up. You mentioned that I was a vice president at Bank of America. Um, I was in information technology. So that is my field of expertise. And um, I came up over the years uh, with the help of uh, Phil Smith, who was often my assistant and later became a USCF employee. Uh, we, we came up with a number of procedures to make it easier to post pairings on the web as they were happening and posting results immediately on the web. Um, at one time, that uh, it was, and even for some organizations today, uh, results don't get posted on the web until hours or even days later. Um, we, we, were, uh, uh, we, we modernized procedures in terms of uh, uh, how results were entered reliably and checked reliably. Uh, we we, uh, we helped to redesign the uh, uh, the results forms that are used at national events uh, for submitting results. Uh, we we were the first ones to start networking. Uh, the computers a national tournament with, with thousands of players requires more than one person in the back room uh, doing the pairings, and it's necessary for their uh, pairings to be coordinated. So I helped set up uh, procedures to make sure that um, we were the computers were networked, which uh, nowadays, of course, that's not any effort. But in the late 90s uh, and early 2000s, that took some, uh, some doing. So, uh, and as I say, the, a lot of the procedures that I invented and that Phil codified when he was an employee uh, are still being used by the U.S. chess today in the back room. Now, you've certainly you had a, a career outside of chess, but during that time, you devoted a lot of your free time to chess organizing and U.S. chess governance. And since you've retired, you've you've gone almost. It seems like you've done full time in in that area. 
why has this been so important to you? You were you were an expert level player, so you know you were a good player. You could have had a lot of fun just continuing to play. Why is organizing and uh, volunteering so important to you? I'm not sure. It just it just I just sort of fell into it and enjoy it. Um, and part of it is I, I reached my peak as a player. Uh, it became pretty clear to me I would never be a grandmaster. Um, and as it turned out, I never even got to be a master. Uh, and my rating is going in the wrong direction now, so I don't think that'll ever happen. Um, but the uh, uh, but I can be a grandmaster at organizing. I can be the best tournament director in the country. Uh, not to say that I think I am, but I think I'm up there, and I think that that uh, uh, that's a goal that's achievable for me. So, uh, and and again, there's there's just the the good feeling that I think anybody who likes to volunteer gets, and you can't explain it. Uh, just the feeling you get from helping other people enjoy themselves uh, is very rewarding to me. And as, as the you know con- country continues to open up and over the board chess is coming back, you know what do you have planned for the future? Well, we are hoping to run another tournament in September here in Las Vegas, um, and I am working with uh, the big thing I want to do is a. Uh, a chess tournament on a cruise. Uh, I did organize the U.S. Senior Open a number of years ago on a cruise. Um, in the past, the Senior Open, when they first started, it used to be on a cruise every other year. Uh, but I found that the Senior Open is a little bit more, um, a little bit more serious now than it was back then, and uh, people felt that. Having it on a cruise was, was, was too restrictive. There are too many people who can't afford a cruise uh, who would like to play in the Senior Open. So I'm going to have an open tournament or possibly open only to adults. And we combine it with a poker cruise. Uh, and the reason I do that is uh, primarily because I have uh, friends who, um, who run uh, uh, an organization called Card Player Cruises that run six or seven poker cruises every year, uh, or they did before COVID, and they'll be starting it up again in, in uh, late 2021 or uh, in, in early 22. And uh, when they have enough room in their conference room to divide it up and give us space for a chess tournament, it works very well because a lot of chess players play poker and vice versa. And um, for a chess tournament, we just wouldn't get the numbers to be able to get the conference room in a typical cruise ship, but the poker group gets, uh, you know, if we're adding to the poker group, it makes it a good deal for both of us. So we're planning on doing that in a a cruise out of Los Angeles in March. And I will be publishing details on that, but I, right now, all I'm willing to do is to tease because we don't have anything firm on that. So I've seen, you know, these chess cruises in the past. And I, I, I got to wonder if, if I'm on a cruise, I'm not going to want to be in a, um, you know, in, in a room playing a tournament for a few hours. Is that just not an issue that people will just play chess anywhere? Or is, does the chess only take two or three hours out of the day? Um, a little of both. I think, uh, when, when we did the senior tournament on the cruise, we had one round per day for five of the seven days that the cruise is going. Um, and we usually schedule it so that the poker tournament was while we were at, well, we always schedule it so the poker tournament 
was while we were at sea. So uh, when you're at sea, there's a lot to do on a cruise, but there's still also some downtime. Um, and of course, that's what makes the poker uh, part of it attractive to the people who play poker. Um, uh, they can only have the poker room open while they're at sea. And a lot of the play, you know, a lot of the people who sign up, they won't be there constantly, but everybody will spend a few hours, uh, either a couple hours a day or a couple hours for two or three of the days. And that adds to the enjoyment mm -hmm. of the cruise. Well, I, I think people are, are going to be very interested in hearing about it now that you've teased it. So, um, so, you know, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you want to share with our One Move at a Time listeners? Uh, give me a second to think about that. Not that I can think of offhand other than, um, you know, play chess, have fun. I'm, I'm going to uh, um, actually I'm planning on playing in a few tournaments myself this year. I haven't played much in years and my rating has plummeted uh, both due to inactivity and age. Um, I am in my 70s, and we, uh, 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 but I am hoping to play in the World Open this year uh, if they don't draft me as a tournament director. And I'm planning on playing in the uh, uh, Reno Far West Open, which is in Reno in October. Um, uh, that one I'm pretty definite on. I already have my hotel booked. Mm -hmm. So, one last question does occur to me. Um, you know, as you've like many other over-the-board organizers were, were forced this past year to do online events. Do you think that traditional over-the-board organizers are going to continue having a, a certain percentage of online events or is the bloom off that rose? Um, I think some of both. I don't think it'll ever pick up like it was going before, of course, but I know a number of organizers are planning on still running uh, some online events, and I'm even looking into that myself. Um, we, we've been, uh, um, I should mention, I guess, that our organization, we've, we've partnered with uh, uh, another organization called Weekend Chess, run by Glenn Panner in Illinois. Um, and they're, they're co-sponsoring the uh, National Open with us this year. And uh, uh, Glenn and I have talked about the possibility of running some more weekend Swiss tournaments online, uh, but nothing definite. And I would guess that if we're thinking about it, then other traditional over-the-board organizers um, are also considering it. You you just can draw players uh, who just can't make a weekend, uh, stay in a hotel and travel and all that, uh, even without COVID. Uh, that's That's a lot of trouble for some players. So again, the, the website for National Open is and all the associated events is VegasChessFestival.com. So please take a look there. And if you were at all on the fence about playing, I hope we've we've moved you in the direction of, of making the trek to Las Vegas. Alan, it was very nice talking to you. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's great to be talking about over-the-board chess again. And thank you so much for appearing on this June edition of One Move at a Time. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you to all the players who are coming to the National Open uh, and the ones who are thinking about coming. Without you players, Dan and I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> hey, bye-bye, Alan. Take care. 
Thank you for joining us on this edition of One Move at a Time, which always drops on the second Tuesday of each month. Our theme music was composed by National Master Alex King of Memphis, Tennessee. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Our sister podcasts at U.S. Chess are Cover Stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, Ladies' Night, hosted by Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi on the third Tuesday of each month, and on the fourth Tuesday, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant National Events Director Pete Karianis. I hope that you have learned something of value that you can now use to help build chess in your own community. We'll be back next month with another Chess World personality who is helping us advance our mission statement to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess.